Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I hope you're having a fantastic Monday and actually two big announcements before we jump into it. The first being with this video going live, I just launched the biggest surprise drop we've ever done over at beautifulbastard.com. It's an awesome mix of new and old. You know, on this show, we always say, don't be stupid, stupid. And that's because when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And so now you can wrap that mindset on our, oh my God, so comfortable shirts, hoodies, and crew necks. We also brought back and expanded the keep going line. Always keeping that little spark of motivation with me. It's even on that custom embroidered champion tie-dye hoodie y'all have loved. We also brought back and tweaked the sports gear, now available in oh my god so many colors, which I love because if you mix a color with white or black, it, it's essentially a sports team color adjacent. We also got the brand new feeling corny, I'm ready to pop dad joke tee and hoodie, and we expanded some of the classic lines like emotionally exhausted now include crewnecks and cropped hoodies, all of which and more available right now over at beautifulbastard.com. And remember, as always, first come, first serve. And the second announcement is last week, if you didn't see, we went to seven days a week. So if you just tried to escape the new this weekend, but you're interested now. I got a fantastic Friday, Saturday, Sunday video for you. Links in the description as always. But this is the Monday Philip DeFranco show, so let's just jump into it. Starting with Andrew Tate has lung cancer. That's a claim that Tate's manager was throwing out after it appeared that someone leaked his medical records, with it appearing to show that he had a lesion on one of his lungs. But Tate, who's imprisoned in Romania or whoever the hell is running his Twitter account, says that none of that is true, claiming that lesion is just a scar from an old battle and that he'll live for 5,000 years. With Tate's manager also now walking back his original claim, saying that Romanian doctors diagnosed the tumor in Tate's lung as benign. And so while this is generally open and shut, right, we get the cancer denial, that seems like the end of the story. Yo, from the time where it was said that Andrew Tate has cancer to no, he doesn't have cancer, the internet was a wild place. Are you Tate supporters saying, hey, see, this is what the Romanian government's trying to do. They're just keeping him in prison while he has cancer. They're, they're trying to keep him from getting treatment. They're trying to run out the clock. They're hoping he dies. Other supporters saying this proves how amazing Tate is. With tweets like, those of us close to Andrew knew he had lung cancer for a while. Consider this. He took over the internet while fighting cancer. This should inspire you to reach your potential no matter what is in your way. And then on the other side, well, it was kind of just a, a lot of dancing. With tweets like, quote, I wouldn't wish cancer on my worst enemy. I would. You're not a real hater like I am. Fuck Andrew Tate. He's a human trafficker. He deserves what's coming. As well as just read the news about Andrew Tate and you guys are sick. How dare you make fun of someone fighting extreme health issues? My prayers go out to the tumor in his lung. I hope it recovers from Andrew in due time. And of course, with the surplus of tweets like that, it sparked the whole debate of like, is that okay? So, you know, just a uh, regular internet things. And then Liddy Dunn is a cheater or rather she wants you to cheat, or more specifically, she got paid to promote a company that allows students to cheat in school. And so Olivia has found herself in hot, possibly soon to be boiling water, where she's an incredibly famous gymnast over at Louisiana State University. She is reportedly the highest paid NCAA female athlete. She has millions and millions of followers, specifically 7.2 million on TikTok. And in one of her recent TikToks, she promoted a partnership with Cactus AI and specifically promoting it as a tool that you can use to help write essays. And by help, I mean writing the first line slash prompt, and then it writes it for you. Where they're also adding the caption, Cactus AI will provide real resources for you to cite at the end of your essays and paragraphs. And so while LSU's code of conduct does not specifically mention the use of AI, as you probably know, plagiarism generally super frowned upon. Other than no elbows over the table, kind of the number one no-no in college. And more specifically, copying from someone else or misrepresenting how your work was prepared are both also major violations of the school's rules. Which appears to be why after Livy posted that TikTok, LSU put out a statement saying that LSU, our professors and students are empowered to use technology for learning and pursuing the highest standards of academic integrity. However, using AI to produce work that a student then represents as one's own could result in a charge of academic misconduct as outlined in the Code of Student Conduct. But ultimately, here's what I'll say with this situation. It kind of comes down to two things. The first being kind of on a personal level, I'm fine with shortcuts in school. I used spark notes back in the day. I put study guides that we weren't allowed to have on tests on TI-83, stuff like that. When I look back, I try to romanticize it and think, you know, I was, I was working on ingenuity. But I want to throw that out there so I'm not like taking some holier than thou stance. 
but it is a completely different thing to advertise and profit off of a service that people are going to use to cheat. And as far as Libby, she's young and hopefully this is like a learning experience and she doesn't see herself as like the victim of this. But secondly, I also don't want this to turn into the demonization of AI because there are beneficial and honest ways that AI can be used in an academic setting. Right? Things like creating research prompts or study guides. The way that I like to use it both in my personal and professional life is I'll kind of just type things out free flow and I'll throw it all into chat GPT to organize everything. But also back to the cheating stuff, like I, I'm just far too paranoid. I'd be so stressed out that while it's not there right now, that eventually there will be another AI in the future that'll be able to tell if you used AI, like to a 99.9% .9 chance of certainty, that'd be a fucking horrible way to go out. And then chocolate wars are upon us, people. And at the center of it, apparently you have Mr. Beast. With this story starting innocently enough with Mr. Beast, of course, biggest YouTuber in the world, tweeting out, I need your help. Next time you see Feastables and Walmart and soon to be new retailers, if you could clean up the presentation and make it look better, that'd make me very happy. I'm building a team to do this routinely, just need help in the short term. With Feastables being one of Mr. Beast's many brands and this one being a line of chocolate bars. And what we initially saw were many fans heeding the call cleaning up the displays and responding to Mr. Beast's tweet with pictures and videos proudly showing off their work. Others though seeing this plea and actually going to the store and then messing up the Feastables displays. But then it got to the part where there is now a controversy. It led to Mr. Beast tweeting in a now deleted tweet. And while you're at it, if you want to maybe move some Hershey's bars and make sure Feastables has plenty of space, I wouldn't complain. With that, we saw people taking issue for two reasons. The first is that you have one of the most public figures in the world asking his fans to mess with his competitors. And secondly, you had people questioning the timing of this because right now Hershey's is actually receiving some backlash because they include a trans woman in their advertising. Though, and this could be my bias speaking, I highly doubt that's why Mr. Beast tweeted that. Like he's out there trying to be as brand friendly as possible. I don't think he would want to touch that controversy with a 10 foot pole. And many fans have pointed out that Mr. Beast has actually been clowning on Hershey's as a competitor for a while now. Which is also, I think, why a lot of people were just kind of angry about the, the general call to action. Right, some saying that Jimmy invented a new brand of capitalism. The tweets like, it's fascinating to watch the stage of capitalism where people are honored to do free labor for rich people that don't care about them because they feel some kind of connection and loyalty like a dog wanting a treat, only the treat is an imagined feeling of connection. Which I will say personally, I, th I think that is the most negative way you can look at it. Like for me, I think the only bad part is the, the now deleted tweet. Even if it was a joke saying mess with the competitors because there are gonna be a lot of people that take that at face value, right? And that's kind of the promotion of destruction. But the other stuff of, hey, could you clean it up? Mr. B says that he is currently building a team to do this. And in general, at times it is fun to feel like you're a part of something, even if you're just a fan. You know, yeah, I'm an online creator, have been for like 15 years, but I've also been a fan of certain communities and a part of certain communities where I've just done stuff to feel like I was a part of it. Like Jimmy's not forcing people to do anything. He's not shaming people for not doing it. But hey, this is the Philip DeFranco Show. That's a story, some of my opinion, and I'll pass the question off to you. Whether you agree or you disagree with me, let me know what your thoughts are in those comments down below. And I'll extend this, of course, to the rest of the show. Because right? this isn't supposed to be just a news show. It's also a conversation. And then Alec Murdoch is a cold-blooded killer. That's what the jury unanimously decided with their guilty verdict in his double murder trial. And actually today, we're now seeing jurors speaking out and giving insight into their verdict. But also first, to give context to those who weren't like following every step of this, you have a guy, Murdoch, who's the head of a century-old legal dynasty in South Carolina who's been accused and now convicted of murdering his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. With the prosecution saying that his motive was to gain public sympathy and distract people away from his financial crimes. And since we last talked about this, Alec himself actually took the stand and testified, appearing to break down in tears as he described finding his dead family. So what y'all have seen pictures of? Can I have some water? But despite this emotional testimony, one damning piece of evidence hung over his head, and that was the Snapchat video. It's a video taken by Paul, and it puts Alec at the crime scene just minutes before the murders, contradicting his original story that he never went there, instead saying that he slept and then drove straight to his mother, with him then admitting to lying the first time he was on the stand, but trying to explain it was his drug addiction that caused him to have episodes of paranoia and distrust the police. And so with that saying, when sheriff deputies did gunshot residue tests on his hands and questioned him about the relationship to his family, he got paranoid. I wasn't thinking clearly. 
I don't think I was capable of reason, and I lied about being down there, and I'm so sorry that I did. I'm sorry to my son Buster. I'm sorry to Grandma and Papa T. Sorry to both of our families. Most of all, I'm sorry to Mags and Papa. I would never intentionally do anything to hurt either one of them. But the jury absolutely didn't buy it. And in fact, you had two jurors going on the Today Show saying the video, the witness testimonies, and Alex's own testimony were the biggest factors in their decision. And adding that his tears weren't real. No, I didn't think he was crying. He turned it on and off. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't genuine. I just think that, you know, we already know that he's a lawyer. He's able to be emotional with cases. He's able to be emotional with himself. He knows, like what she said, when to turn it on and off. So I think that we were kind of able to read right through that. But also keep in mind, those are just jurors. They don't really know how to get inside the mind of a murderer, which I guess is why we're lucky to hear from an actual expert on the matter, OJ Simpson. I am not qualified to, to really say if the guy did it or he didn't do it. Uh, but from what I've seen, do I think it's more likely that he did it? Yes, but more likely equals reasonable doubt. But for now, that's where we are because, you know, this situation's not technically over. Alec has now been sentenced to life without parole, but his defense is appealing the conviction, arguing there that the judge was just too permissive in allowing evidence of his past financial crimes to enter the case. But here's the thing, even if that succeeded, Alec's still facing almost 100 charges on those very crimes, not to mention several charges related to him paying someone to kill him so his son would get a life insurance payout. So not technically over, but yeah, it's over. He's going to die in a box. And then, for any of you focused on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods, new favorite hobby, current obsession, or even a personal blog to get all those thoughts out of your head, I've got a great solution for you thanks to the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now, and I have to say, it's just so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's all-one platform has never been so simple. It's incredibly intuitive and easy to use. Plus, with their mobile-optimized websites, your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So go check it out. See why so many others love it. See why you're going to love it. And start your free trial today over at squarespace.com. When you realize you made the right choice, make sure you enter an offer code Phil to get 10% off your first purchase. And then, if you're being accused of wanting a genocide, there is at least a decent chance that what you're talking about is at the very least completely fucked up. And I say that because while we saw many speakers at the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, over the weekend, one in particular made headlines. With that being the Daily Wire's Michael Knowles, and I'll, I'll just let you listen to what's causing so much uproar. There can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. If it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level. We're seeing a lot of people seeing that and going, damn, that sounds downright genocidal. With trans activist Aaron Reed writing, they are dehumanizing us, a necessary step to bringing about that elimination. But with this, Knowles argues that he can't possibly be genocidal because in his view, transgender people don't even exist. Or the argument is that it's just a delusion, so there are no transgender people to commit genocide against. This despite every credible medical organization agreeing that transgender people are real and gender-affirming care is effective. But the thing is, conservatives are going to keep pounding on this drum because it's a winning issue for them. Right, I mean that, yes, with talking points, 
points, but also legislation. You may not know this, but this year we've seen the biggest onslaught against LGBTQ people yet, with over 350 anti-trans bills being introduced in at least 36 states as of last month. That's double what we saw last year, and we're only a couple of months in. And then, violent protests are continuing in the battle over Atlanta's so-called Cop City. Right, so we last talked about this on the show back in January. But for some quick key background here, there have been ongoing demonstrations against the construction of a $90 million, 85-acre police training facility, aka Cop City. With many of the activists fighting against this project being environmentalists who want the woods where the campus is being built, which is one of the most significant green spaces in the region, to be preserved. With also others protesting against the site over concerns that it will encourage militarizing policing and police forces. According to reports, groups who oppose the complex began organizing after it was authorized by the Atlanta City Council back in 2021. But the protests and tensions between demonstrators and police have really escalated in recent months, especially after a 26-year-old activist was killed by the authorities. Now there, police say that the activists actually opened fire first and injured a state trooper, but some protesters have called for an independent investigation. But all of that brings us to yesterday where we saw the latest standoff, which is the second day of a planned week-long protest against the complex. But in a press release, the Atlanta Police Department claimed that things escalated when, quote, a group of violent agitators used the cover of a peaceful protest to conduct a coordinated attack on construction equipment and police officers. According to the police, the agitators changed into black clothing and entered the construction area and began to throw large rocks, bricks, Molotov cocktails, and fireworks at police officers, and adding that the agitators destroyed multiple pieces of construction equipment by fire and vandalism. Right now, it's unclear if anyone was injured, though. The department implied that no officers were hurt, saying in a statement that the illegal actions of the agitators could have resulted in bodily harm. And all in all, 35 agitators have been detained so far. And a very key thing here is that the police also said that 23 people were arrested and all were charged with domestic terrorism. With Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp issuing a statement this morning condemning the violent activists who, quote, chose destruction and vandalism over a legitimate protest, yet again demonstrating the radical intent behind their actions. Also adding, as we continue to respect peaceful protest, we will also continue to ensure safety in our communities. We will not rest until those who use violence and intimidation for an extremist end are brought to full justice. So at the very least, I will say, I, I don't think this is going to stop the protests. And I say that because according to reports, a total of 19 protesters were charged with the domestic terrorism back in December and January. And clearly that didn't stop the violence we saw yesterday. Also, at the same time with all this, you have the leader of one of the groups protesting at the site condemning the arrests as indiscriminate and claiming the language being used by police calling those arrested outside agitators is meant to separate protesters and meant to criminalize and detach a movement from its homegrown origins. With him even explicitly telling CNN that the activists won't be discouraged by this latest incident and adding, there will continue to be protests meant to express the outrage of the community. These are big tent protests. We don't expect incidents beyond standard civil disobedience. And then, things in Israel are absolutely crazy right now. Right? Because there's the whole, you know, normal state of affairs we've seen there over the past few years, but right now it's extra crazy because of an impending judicial overhaul. And we've touched on part of this recently. It's where you got Netanyahu and his pals pushing through a bill that would, among other things, fundamentally change how the court system and the Supreme Court work in Israel. With the key thing being it puts the ultimate power to appoint judges into the hands of the legislature instead of the courts and gives them the power to overrule the Supreme Court. And ever since it was proposed, there have been absolutely massive protests. And this weekend was no different, with at least tens of thousands of Israelis taking to the streets across the country for the ninth straight week. With these proposals unpopular across all segments of society, ranging from students to all 10 living former Air Force chiefs. And they actually just published an open letter to Netanyahu saying that the law and the protests that it sparked are impacting the readiness of Air Force officers. It's also not theoretical or kind of like forward thinking. Dozens of pilots from the military reserves already announced that they're joining the protest rather than going to training. And even before that, reservists from an elite intelligence unit announced that they were also not going to do parts of their reserve duty and protest to the law. And the reason I mention them specifically while you also have tens of thousands of people in the streets, because this is a nearly unprecedented move in a country that largely takes its military and reservist service seriously. And even prompting Netanyahu to tweet out this photo from when he was conscripted with the caption, when we're called for reserve duty, we always turn up. We are one nation. That's unlikely to sway the reservists and the public at large as the stakes are just seen as way too high here. So what we're seeing 
saying is that now there might be a sliver of hope. With President Isaac Herzog, remember he's kind of just the figurehead, saying that Netanyahu's right-wing ruling coalition and opposition parties are nearing an agreement that would tone down the reforms and adding. There are behind-the-scenes agreements on most things. They make sense and they are reasonable. But as far as what those changes are, right now we have no idea because they're playing it very close to the chest. And keep in mind, this is at the same time as opposition leaders are putting out a less idealistic statement. Venting their frustrations that while negotiations are happening, the conservatives are still pushing forward with their version of the law and adding. In order to have honest and effective dialogue that will lead to preserving democracy and national unity, Netanyahu must announce a complete, comprehensive, and actual halt to the legislative process. All attempts at shortcuts are a violation of real communication. But hopefully we do see some sort of actual pullback because when you have the president saying things like, the reform as it currently stands endangers the democratic foundations of the state of Israel, and we are in a historic crisis that threatens to destroy us from within, not to mention the possible constitutional crisis if the law is passed and the Supreme Court strikes it down, sure as hell doesn't sound like a good or safe place to be. But hopefully that's a bridge that doesn't have to be crossed. And that's where today's show ends. Thank you for being a part of another daily dive into the news. Friendly reminder, get in while you can over at beautifulbastard.com. A lot of new awesome for you to get your hands on. Also, for more news you need to know, I got you covered right here and in the links in the description. But as always, my name is Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.